A series of mysterious explosions rocks Iran. Is it an external enemy or a new foe within the borders of the country? And then we stay in the Middle East to take a look at an old Mesopotamian legend. Was there really a demon king that once ruled the land for 1,000 years? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm sweltering, but I'm still here. I haven't melted completely. I'm still here to do your show. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Uranium Rabbit. Uranium Rabbit. Thank you so much for supporting the show. That is super awesome. You're going to be our captain, our guide this episode. You can't support the Patreon. That's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really really helps out a lot. We also have the Minecraft server and the merch store. You can purchase stuff from there as well to support the show. And Uranium Rabbit actually wrote a book called Project Rabbit Hole. And one of the things he talked about was, I haven't read the book yet, but he's going to send me a copy of it. One of the things that he was mentioning was talking about the ideas of Keck, the ideas of Corona Chan, of us memeing these gods into existence. So I thought it would be an interesting episode to have him on because we're going to be looking at a god-made incarnate here on Earth. But first, before we get there, Uranium, let's go ahead. Actually, that kind of matches that. that uh, that's your name. Let's go ahead and fire up the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought, our massive warship. We're leaving behind America, and we're headed off to Iran. We're playing those big drums. Not that fast. The people rowing the boat. The Dead Rabbit Dreadnought is like one of those huge boats from Age of Empires. I know there's a real name for him. Tremere. So the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought is getting closer to Iran. It's June 25th, 2020. Everyone's just kind of hanging out, doing their own thing. And then... People in Tehran like, what in the world was that? And they're running to the window, and they just see a smoke plume off in the distance. And they're like, oh, great. This is not good. Never is an explosion a good thing. There's never a time where you see an explosion in your neighborhood, and you're like, we did it, guys. Something blew up. I guess unless you're a demolition expert. These people aren't demolition experts. <laughs> they're the citizens of the city of Tehran. They see a giant explosion off in the distance. The, of course, the media has to cover it. And they go, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Something blew up in Parchin. Something blew up in Parchin. Everything's normal. People in Tehran are like, what? No, I don't think everything's normal. And that wasn't the direction of Parchin. I saw it over there. So the media's like, oh, the reporter's just making that noise. Breaking news. It wasn't in Parchin. You're right. We have listening devices in your house. We heard everyone go, huh? We heard a collective scratching of heads. It wasn't in Parchin. You're right. It was in Kojir, Kojir, but it was just a gas leak. Just a gas leak at a missile site. What'd you say, reporter? Why'd you move away from the mic? No, no, no. It was just a gas leak at a missile silo. We know what you're saying. You're saying missile silo, right? There was a gas leak in a missile silo. Reporter's like, yes. Yes, there was. That's kind of the end of it, right? I mean, that's not a good thing. Gas leak in a missile silo. Five days later, June 30th. It's not a jet. Well, it might be, actually, but that's the sound of a fire. Burning out of control at a medical center in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, if you didn't know. Fire burning in a medical center. 18 people died. Media's covering it. 
Reporter goes, okay, that definitely was a gas leak. People are like, mm, two gas leaks in five days? Like, two major gas leaks in five days? Okay. Reporter's like, that was, that one was a gas leak. And by saying that, you may be thinking I'm implying the first one was a gas leak, but that was a gas leak too. The missile silo and now the hospital. July 2nd, 2020. Fire. You got the fire noise. Massive explosion. So this is the third massive explosion in about eight days. This one, though, was at the Natanz Enrichment Facility, which is where Iran is currently trying to enrich. Well, allegedly, right? Like, that's always the big debate. I think at this point, Iran has admitted, yeah, yeah, we're enriching it. But I can't be for sure on that because it's always going back and forth. But Western powers are going like, you're trying to make nuclear bombs. And Iran's like, no, 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 we're just trying to make nuclear power. But, you know, again, everyone has an agenda of what the story is. I'm not 100% for sure, but the fact that it's written in my notes as an enrichment facility, I'm pretty sure that Iran's just like, yeah, let's not even pretend anymore. We're going to make a nuclear bomb. But I could be wrong on that. Don't, don't nuke me with your non-existent bombs, Iran. In two months, though, you might be able to. Iran, this enrichment facility, this is the same facility that was hit by Stuxnet, the Stuxnet virus, which I would cover, but it's such a well-known story, but I was so fascinated by the Stuxnet virus. You guys might not remember that, but a while back, it's probably like 10 years at this point, a virus got into this Natanz enrichment facility, and what it did, you couldn't even tell it was there, it was basically shutting off their... Um, what are those things called? Not not helicopters, much helicopters flying around the enrichment facility. They're like, get out of here. The um, cylinders that spin really quickly, whatever whatever those things are, it was basically shutting them down and causing them to overheat and things like that. And then Stuxnet virus got out of the facility and started hitting other like our power plants and stuff like that. It's a very fascinating story. But anyways, this is that same facility. So it's a building... Apparently, it's like a one-story building, but underneath it's this massive underground thing. We don't know. That's what Western spies are telling us, that underneath it's this massive enrichment facility. So you have three major explosions within eight days. And people go, okay, so why did this enrichment facility blow up? The Iranian government goes, that didn't blow up. It just caught on fire. What about that explosion we heard? (laughs) Well, I don't have an answer for that, so you didn't hear an explosion. I guess I didn't. The roof is, like, completely, like, blown out. Like, the photograph of it, something, maybe it wasn't an explosion, but something, force and flame peeled back the roof in a high-velocity expansion of gas. So if that's the scientific definition of an explosion, then it was an explosion. But otherwise, maybe they're right. Within hours, obviously. Like, the first one... They're saying it was a gas leak. The, the the hospital seems to be a bit of an outlier. People have gone, we can understand why the missile silo would come under attack. The, the medical facility is a little weird. We can definitely understand why the enrichment facility would come under attack. But I guess a couple weeks ago, I ran and introduced the computer virus into the water system of Israel to make it back up. So then eventually there'd be a massive chlor. It's fa- I find this also fascinating, the ability to wage war on this level. Allegedly, Iran released the virus into Israel's water control system, which would cause a backup of chlorine. So then if they didn't notice it in time, the water would basically be poisoned. That's Cobra Commander level stuff, right? Right? That's insane. 
Like having the, um, dang, what are those things? Centrifuges, centrifuges. Now, it was slowing down the centrifuges, like, that's kind of sneaky. That's like Snidely Whiplash level. Basically turning all the water supply in poison. That's something that Cobra Commander would do. But it didn't work. They, they figured out what was going on. So Iran basically has to address Obviously, no one's buying the gas leak story anymore. Iran says Israel did it. Israel attacked us. So the, I can just imagine a bunch of Iranian agents at like an Israeli airport. And they're like, so we believe, Israel, that you flew stealth bombers over our territory and attacked those facilities. And Israel's like, no, he didn't. And they're, standing next, they're standing next to a stealth fighter. And Iran's like, okay, put your hand on the engine of that uh, airplane. You see that airplane you're standing next to? Go ahead and touch the, the engine. What? Why, why do you want me to do that? No, 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 it's fine. Because you haven't flown it, right? You, didn't, you weren't flying it the other night and trying to blow up our enrichment facility, right? Isn't that what you just said? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Okay, well, put, put your hand on the afterburner portion of that engine. And if you haven't flown it, right? You'll be totally fine. But if you flew it recently, I'm pretty sure your hand is going to go straight Raiders of the Lost Ark flesh dripping off. Uh, well, I would, but I just bought these gloves and I don't want to get stealth paint on them. You weren't wearing gloves a second ago. Yeah, I put them on. They were stealth gloves. You couldn't see them. So Iran is basically accusing Israel. Israel's denying it. That's nothing new, right? What makes this story interesting isn't just this mysterious chain of explosions. And again, they don't know if the medical facility is part of this. Because that doesn't fit to, like, trying to slow down the nuclear program. It's not a web. just a fire that broke out. No one's been able to... Even what I saw, what I read, Iran wasn't accusing Israel of doing that. That might have been a simple gas leak. Nobody knows at this point. But again, we had, like I said, the Stuxnet virus thing before, even before that. I remember reading this in the newspaper, and I was like, I was thinking, is the world really just Mission Impossible 7? Back in 2010, this guy, this nuclear scientist was getting driven to work. He's this high-level nuclear scientist. And a guy on a motorbike drives up alongside the car, attaches a magnet bomb to it. Takes off, and you can imagine that dude. Because obviously, you know, they didn't leave you a birthday cake, right? If someone comes by on a motorbike, if someone comes by on a unicycle and slaps the side of your car, dude, your number's up. And sure enough, the car just blew up, and the dude disappeared. The guy on the motorcycle got out. He was gone. I know eventually they did end up rounding up a couple people they were suspected were spies. They thought Israel had something to do with that. What's interesting is a I think there were three scientists killed that year. One of them walked out to his car. He didn't have a driver. He's walking out of his car. And there was a motorbike sitting next to his car, just parked in the next spot. Blew up. Killed him in front of his house. Basically, don't trust motorbikes in Iran. And of course, Iran was saying Israel had to do with it. They're taking out their key scientists. Here's a little conspiratorial note for you. The one scientist who the motorbike was parked outside of his house High-level nuclear scientist, but he wasn't working with the nuclear program. He was working with quantum physics. So that's kind of a weird, interesting thing. Like, what? again, conspiracy cap fully on the head. What if Iran is working on nuclear weapons, but also working on some sort of quantum, I don't know, (laughs) quantum bomb, quantum reality thing? Because he wasn't working with that program. He could have just been a name on a list. They could have figured he was working on something even more dangerous than a nuclear bomb. Who knows? But you have this tit for tat. 
We don't see that much over here. At least we don't hear about it, right? For all we know, um, American scientists, Israeli scientists could be getting taken out and it's just covered up. We don't know. Look at Marconi Labs. We covered them a while back. But Sabine's, <laughs> Sabine's worried that Marconi's going to send hitmen after me. She was like, I'm a little nervous after you did that episode about Marconi Labs. And I was like, eh, don't worry about it. So we have this tit for tat going on. Here's the thing, though. This attack is not... Israel's denying it, which they always will. Same thing when something goes wrong in Israel and they say it's Hezbollah and Hezbollah is being funded by Iran. Iran's like, oh, no, it was just a bad day. That's that's why all that stuff blew up. It was super windy. So this just this has been going on for years and years and years. What makes this different? What makes this fascinating is that there is a group claiming to make these attacks. And depending on the translation, they are either cheetahs of the homeland or the homeland panthers. Homeland panthers or cheetahs of the homeland. We're just going to call them the panthers. They have claimed responsibility for this. They Apparently, they are a group of ex or even current Iranian military officers who want to overthrow the government. And they're causing these attacks. They've sent out communiques, press releases, however you want to call them. They claim responsibility for these attacks. to get. And so you could go, well, maybe it's just some group doing it. They claimed responsibility for the Natanz attack before it was even reported in the media. So it wasn't like some <laughs> a bunch of pranksters. No, it was an actual group that obviously had knowledge of it. Now, it could obviously be a CIA group. It could be an Israeli group that's claiming credit for it, or they're backed by Israel or CIA. Who knows? But they are saying they are fed up with the current Iranian regime. They want to overthrow them. So we'll see how all of this evolves. It's very possible that, because I'm recording this episode so far in advance by the time it airs, we do have more information. But as of now, this is where we're sitting at. Three explosions within eight days. And again, they don't, no one's, as far as I could see, no one was like, yeah, and we hate people in medical facilities. Boo, sick people. So we blew that up too. I think that was just a horrible accident because nobody's taking credit for that. And I didn't even see the Iranian government blame Israel for that. I think it was just a horrible accident. And that was the only one that actually had fatalities too. But Uranium Rabbit, see, we're not done here because like I said, he was writing in that book, Project Rabbit Hole, which again, I haven't read yet, but I'm going to check it out about how gods can be invoked and how basically through stories, through memes, we may be channeling something older. Let's go ahead and hop in the Carpenter Copter. We're going to leave behind modern day Tehran, flying us over the desert, and then this magical wave washes over us. And then we go from modern day Tehran to ancient Mesopotamia. We have a cloaking device on the helicopter. Now it looks like a chariot with 10 horses, 10 beautiful golden horses. <laughs> they turn into chipmunks too. We're flying around, super annoying. So I don't normally have the chariot version of the carpenter copter. We're flying over ancient Mesopotamia. Uranium rabbit. Let's go ahead and land here in the plains of Mesopotamia. I forgot to tell you why we're here, actually. So the reason why we're here, as uranium is petting the horses, feeding them apples, the reason why we're here is that when the Homeland Panthers were writing this letter talking about how the government needs to be overthrown, they called the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei a Zahak. And then it said a mythical creature, 
of, of uh, like a demonic creature is what it said in the article. And I was like, what? I got everything in this thing. I got explosions. I got international intrigue. And now I have a cryptid? Well, I guess I know what I'm doing with the next 20 minutes of my day. I'm going to research Zahak. Fascinating story. You done petting those horses? Everyone, get a pet of those horses. Feed them an apple. Let's go ahead and leave behind the carboner copter, guys. All of us, let's hop on one of these golden horses. Let's ride them off into the plains here. The story of Zahak. There's actually a couple different versions of it, so I had to pick one to kind of stick with it. The one I'm picking is from welcometoiran.com. It's kind of like an official government website, but there's a couple different versions of this story. They deviate in one serious way. One of them has a story of someone who was destined, who was chosen to be the super powerful person and was, was raised to be this warrior drinking the milk from a blessed cow. The other one was about an ordinary person who has to figure out a way to defeat evil. And I want to go with that version of it. I'm not saying one is more true or one is more well-known. But the version I went is from the welcometoiran.com website. And I think it's more interesting because it's about what we can do. What we can do to fight evil. Very fascinating story. We're riding these golden horses over the plain. The sun's setting. It's getting scary. It's getting dark. It's time to tell a ghost story. Or a monster story, really. Let's look at the story of Zahak. Zahak was a prince in Mesopotamia. His father was the king. Everything was going fine. He was, he was just kind of inoffensive, right? He was just a guy. He was a little charming. Wasn't really making waves. Attractive. Has a following. But doesn't really get things done. And doesn't really have to because he's a prince. But there's a dark spirit nearby named Ariman. He's watching Zahak go just about life. And Ariman sees him and knows that this is the perfect person to carry out his plans. So he appears in the form of a wise counselor in front of Zahak and begins to give him advice. Watch out! As the chariot goes by the street, ah, saved your life. And Zahak's like, ha ha ha, all right, thank you, old man who I don't know. What, I'm Ariman. They're doing a high five. Don't eat that soup! It's too hot. Let me blow on it first. So Hawk's like, that's kind of gross, but you know, I'm kind of hungry. I will eat old man blowing on soup. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ariman. But eventually, Ariman puts his plan into motion. So Hawk, you know, I've been giving you some good advice. I saved your life from that horse. I blew on your soup. I'm sure I did other stuff as well. I think you would be a better king than your father. Yes! He says in his serpent-like voice. Zahak's like, that's not suspicious at all. I think you would be a better king than your father. Zahak's like, yeah, I probably would be, but, you know, he's still alive, and that kind of makes it difficult. We can change that, Zahak. We can change that. Now, he convinces Zahak to kill his father, and there's a note in one of these stories that he starts banging his mom, but I only found that in one source, and I'm assuming that the other sources were like, oh, this guy already has a bad enough rap. We don't, I mean, the stuff he does is so awful. Let's just, let's just leave that part out of the story. But anyways, in one of the sources, he's banging his mom. And then in the other versions, never mentioned. So, Ariman disappears. And then returns in a new form. The form of a chef. Wazak! I'm here to grant you food. I don't know why it's a musical all of a sudden. All the cups are dancing. 
He says, dude, you won't believe it. I'm your best chef ever. Remember that Remember that old man blowing on soup? I was the one who made that soup. So Hawk's like, that was really good. Is there an old man around to blow on it? Uh, we do it back in the kitchen. But you want to taste something really good. Here, try this. And it was meat. So in Mesopotamia, I don't know if it was for the whole culture, but definitely in this dude's family, they were all vegetarians. he never eaten meat in his life, ever. So when he gets this delicious, what do you call it? Steak put in front of him. He's like, I'm going to try that. It looks like, it looks like food. It smells like food. So he takes a bite of steak and it's heavenly or devilish. For a little foreshadowing there. It's the best food he's ever had. He's like, get those lentils out of me. Burn all the hay. No more wheat. No more wheat. It's all meat for me, baby. And he tells the cook, he goes, listen, this is delicious. Can you make me more of this? And the cook's like, yeah, if there's an animal born, I can turn it into food. So he's eating ostrich. He's eating rhino. He's eating every possible meat he can. And he eventually tells the cook, he goes, listen, you've changed my life. You've changed my life. I will give you whatever you want. And the cook goes, all I want to do is kiss both of your shoulders. <laughs> and at that point, the hawk's probably like, Oh, I was afraid he was going to say he was going to kiss something else. Yeah, you can kiss my shoulders. So he takes off his cloak and he's standing there all bare chested. The old cook walks up to him and goes, Mwah! kisses one shoulder, Mwah! kisses the other shoulder. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to the kitchen. He walks back in the kitchen and then fades away. If any cooks were back there, they're like, what? How am I going to get paid now? He was supposed to sign my paycheck. And the guy's disappearing. Oh, no. So, Zahawk goes to bed. I know this story's taking a long time, but I find this so fascinating. This episode might run long. Zahawk goes to bed, and he's like, Ugh, what? Oh, my shoulders. Remember that old man kissed me? Ugh. Uh, they don't feel good. And he wakes up, and he looks, and he sees a little nub popping out of one shoulder. Uh, I'm going to look slowly over to my other shoulder and see what's there. Oh no, it's a nub too. And then two snakes grow out of his shoulders. But they stop. It's not like they just pop out and slither away. On both shoulders, he has these snakes. Two snakes, right? And they're constantly like snapping at him. He's like, ah, ah. And he's like getting a stick and he's fighting these two snakes off. That's a losing battle, right? <laughs> Eventually you do have to like go to the bathroom or go to sleep. Or, you know, just your arms get tired. He's fighting these snakes off. Ariman reappears, but this time he's not a counsel. He's not a cook. He's a doctor. So he's like, I'm here. You called? And Zach's like, no, I didn't. What, what is call? What's calling? And his Ariman's like, oh, phones will be invented someday. But I see you have come down with a bad case of snake on the shoulders. He's like, yeah, what am I going to do? My arm's getting so tired. I'm trying to beat these guys. And the doctor goes, hmm, let me see him. Let me reach into my bag of medical implements. And he pulls out a blade. That's his only implement. Everything, he just stabs it until it's better. Slice! One of the snakes come off. Slice! The other snake comes off. They fall to the ground dead. And so Hawk's like, oh, that feels so much weight. No, it doesn't! And the snakes grow back. So these snakes are stuck to his shoulder. And he goes, Zahawk, you gotta do something about this. Zahawk goes, listen, got the perfect cure. You eat meat, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, I love I love meat. It's delicious. He's like, here's what you got to do. Every day, to keep the snakes from killing you, because that's eventually what they're going to do, you have to eat a bowl of stew. So Huck's like, yeah, I can do that. That's, you know, pretty good. He goes, no. 
has to be brain stew. He's like, uh, that's a little grosser, but obviously if my choice is between eating brain stew, which I'm pretty sure is a Green Day album, or getting killed by shoulder snakes, I'm going to eat brain stew. And the doctor goes, but you didn't let me finish. I should have finished. I should have just said it as one complete sentence. But every day you have to eat a bowl of stew made out of human brains. You have to have two human brains a day. Otherwise, those snakes are going to kill you and eat your brain. And at this point, Zahak goes, gulp. And anyways, gulp, he eventually does. He sets up this thing where every day, he'd send out messengers all across Mesopotamia. Because now he rules the land, right? He took over from his father. He'd send out messengers, and every day someone would have to send them one of their kids, and then he eats their brains. Now, you generally, the easiest way to do it, I mean, it's a lot harder. Let's say you live on the edge of Mesopotamia, and some guys come out and they're like, hey, it's your kid today. And you're like, oh, man. Then that your kid has to, like, walk all the way over there the whole time. He's like, oh, I don't want to give up my brains. I just started using them. And then it's like a 40-day journey to the middle of Mesopotamia. And then you're like, oh, super tired. And your, your brain is less juicy because you've been walking all the time. What the king would do, what Zahak would do, would actually be like, you kill your kid. You take out the kid's brain. Sorry, <laughs> this episode's too gross. That's like a grim term, right? Uranium is just petting the horse. He's like, it'll all be over soon. I just want this story to end. I just want this story to end. Zahak says, you need to kill your own kid and just send me the brains. That's easier, right? Then you could just have a barrel of brains like waiting for you. They're like soaking in brine. A brain is a lot easier to take care of than having like cells full of humans. Just have a box of brains. You could put 30 brains in, in a space where you would need like a giant prison to hold 30 people. So you're thinking, okay, great. So this guy's probably like 20 years old when this happens. He eats two brains a day, 365 days out of the year. It's what, like seven, 750 brains. And he's probably in his 20s. He probably lived to be about 60. So this dude lived for a thousand years every day just eating brains. Entire generations would live and die. People would be like, ah, this is so awesome. I'm 80 years old. No one's ever eaten my brain. And there's a knock at your door and you're like, no, I'm on my deathbed. They're like, that's even easier because you're not going to miss your brain. Entire, like, generations and generations, a thousand years, the United States has been around for like 250. That's four United States worth of brain eating. What happened? I don't know why it took so long for anyone to realize this, but what happened is we're near the end of a thousand years. Oh, and also, this I guess I should have mentioned this, during his rule, the sky became pitch black because all the hope, all the joy, all the beauty is taken out of the land because he's just eating brains. He got these two snakes... Snapping all the time. Eating that brain stew. We fast forward about a thousand years. And there's a blacksmith named Kava. He's sitting there with his wife and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> Life is quite terrible. The sky's pitch black. I was born into a world with a pitch black sky. I'm going to die in a world with a pitch black sky. This king is ruling the land. I don't know what to do. And then... Messenger is like, Hey, Kava. I hate to do this, but I got to deliver this message. Otherwise, you know, my brains will get eaten. <laughs> and Kava's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. He gets the message and it says, send us your child. We're going to eat her brains. It signs a hut. And then Kava throws the letter in the ground. Oh, he rages because this is his last daughter. Hawk has eaten his other 16 children. He had 17 kids overall, and Zahawk's like, can't get enough of those wonderful kava brains. 
He'd eaten 16 of his kids, right? He has one daughter left. And he's like, I can't do this, man. First off, my wife sure is having a hard time giving birth to 17 kids. Secondly, I can't let this dude get away with it. He's already eaten 16 of kids. So he goes to the roof of his house and he's looking up at the pitch black sky. He's looking up at the sky. You can see the moon. And he goes, there has to be a way out of this. I could have thought about this, you know, 16 kids ago, but tonight I've been pushed too far. He's up on the roof and he's looking out and he goes, I got it. So he kills his daughter, little air quotes there, and sends the brains off to the king. What he really did was he took his daughter and says, you go to the highest mountain and you hide there. And I'm going to send sheep brains off. You'll never know the difference. And she's like, are you saying I have the brains of a sheep? He's like, listen, yes, basically, you might find that insulting, but it's much better to be insulted than to have your brains eaten. She's like, yeah, fair enough. She goes to the highest mountain. The king, Zahak, gets the brains, grabs some human brains, mixes them together, eats his stew. He doesn't notice the difference. So, so Kava's story starts to get out. This blacksmith who actually hid his daughter, starts to get out. The, the king could not tell the difference between a human brain and a sheep brain. So other people go, oh, this is, good. this is a good idea. Could have came up with it 16 kids ago. Could have come up with it a thousand years ago, but send off some sheep brains. They'd send their kids up to the mountains. Now, what I imagine, the story doesn't get so widespread across all of Mesopotamia. In the story, I think what would happen is that he'd get one human brain, one sheep brain. So he probably wouldn't even know. The snakes on his shoulders were still docile. There may have been times where he was getting two sheep brains and the snakes still weren't realizing what was going on. But over time, they're taking the sheep brains, sending them off. It was a bad year to be a sheep, but it was a good year to be a human. They're sending the humans up to the mountains. And after a time, Kava would go up there and visit his daughter and he would see them and they were learning how to hunt. They were learning how to survive up there, ride horses and stuff like that. And one time Kava goes up there and there's a couple hundred young adults now up there. Hardy people. A hidden army. And Kava goes, I'm going to teach you guys how to fight. And we're going to kill this king. We're going to end this rule. And so every time he requested a brain, he got at least one sheep brain and another soldier would join this hidden army. And over time, you have hundreds of young men and women being trained in secret. Eventually, Kava has raised this army and leads it to the capital of Mesopotamia. And Zahak looks out the window and sees this army that's really sprung up out of nowhere start marching on his citadel, and he fills him with fear. He knows that this is the end. Kava takes, he had this blacksmith apron that he wore. That I think, I don't think it was just something he wore. I think blacksmiths had to wear, otherwise he'd get horribly burned. He attaches it to a rod and uses it, uses it as their battle banner. He, he leads the forces into the fortress. They take the fortress. To be honest, I, don't, I, I would assume the soldiers in the fortress didn't put up that much of a fight. When you have a trained army, actually an army that had existed for a thousand years with no enemy to fight, I don't know how well they would be trained, but... If you had a trained army, and you see a bunch of people march in, they may, you would think they would be able to repel the invaders. But they're also, you know, they probably knew people whose brains had gotten eaten. They probably lost soldiers whose brains had gotten eaten. Because there was no, like, you had to be of this ethnic group or this clan. He was just eating brains. It didn't matter. I mean, obviously, he was eating sheep brains for a while. He didn't even know, he didn't even know the difference. So who knows what, what, how much of a fight the soldiers put up. But they do take the fortress, and it ends with, in truly theatrical fashion, having a showdown between Kava and Zahak 
this thousand-year-old demon king with serpents on his shoulders. And Kava is wielding his weapon, is his blacksmith hammer. And he begins chasing Zahak through the fortress. Zahak eventually falls. And while his enemy is on the ground, <laughs> helpless. No, 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 I had to eat brains. The snakes made me do it. The snakes made me do it. Kava takes that blacksmith hammer and just smashes in his brain. Like, it's done, right? Straight up. And then he cuts the head off for good measure, right? And then the snakes turn to dust and disappear. Kava then goes to the high mountain behind the fortress and lights a massive bonfire to let Mesopotamia, all of the nation, know that Zahak is dead. On all the other mountains, they see that bonfire at the fortress and the other mountains start lighting their bonfires. And then farther off, people started lighting bonfires and all of that bonfire light pushed away the darkness. And for the first time in a thousand years, light shone down on Mesopotamia. To this day, on March 21st, this is the oldest religious practice that is still practiced today. On March 21st, in Afghanistan, Iran, the Kurdish territory will do this. They jump through the flames. It's the day of the spring equinox. They'll light these bonfires and they'll jump through the flames. I think think they're, I think bonfires might, might, they may not be these huge raging fires, but to this day, it's the oldest religious practice that is still practiced to this day. It's to mark the fall of the demon king, Zahak, and the freedom of the people. The apron, which was used as the banner, is actually also the symbol of the flag of Termekistan. It's still, like, it's interesting because even though it's a myth, there are people say Kava existed. Kava was an actual revolutionary hero that existed. Modern scholars don't actually believe that one guy lived for a thousand years. There's definitely a lot of allegory in this story, right? The pitch black sky is just oppression. They say that the snakes on the shoulders actually just represented that there was a real guy named Zahak, and the snakes on the shoulders weren't literal. They represented his bloodlust. That he wasn't even eating human brains. He was just a tyrant. These are stories that came out. So you have another version of the story, like I said, where there's a warrior chosen by destiny. He's born. He's a special child. He's fed the milk of a blessed cow. Zahak has a vision. He will be defeated by him and all this stuff. It's definitely interesting as a mythological story. I like this story of Kava as the hero better. Because I think we can relate more to being Kava, right? You know what I mean? Like, the idea of the hero's journey, the idea of being destined to be the hero that saves the world, that's that's more, that's fun, but it's less likely. The idea of someone who has their back against the wall, who was just a normal person, who has their back against the wall. Destiny didn't choose them. They weren't born into this fate. They were just someone who had their back against the wall who said, enough, enough, I'm changing things. I find those stories more interesting. That story, I think, relates to the story of the Panthers. Going back to modern-day Iran, you have a group of people. If they are, if this isn't a cover for the CIA or Israeli operations, Mossad or something like that, you have a group of people who say, I've existed in the Iranian regime. I've done things. I've sold my kids' brains, metaphorically, by serving this regime. Now I want to overthrow it. And to call the supreme leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei a Zahak, Fits that story. These guys, these members of the military machine in Iran, see him as this foe that needs to be taken down. So that would make sense in that version of the story. They see themselves as Kava. They see themselves as ordinary people who are being forced to do extraordinary things because of a insurmountable foe. 
they have may, they may have been spending years of their own life looking up in the night sky and thinking, how do I fix this? How do I change things? But the interesting thing about this myth is that both sides will see themselves as Kava, right? The Iranian government, the established Iranian government, sees themselves as a freedom fighter against the tyranny of the world. And then underneath it, you have a group of people within that country who sees themselves as freedom fighters against the government. Both sides see themselves as Kava. They just have a different Zahak to fight. So whose story? Who's the hero? Whose saga will be remembered a thousand years from now? A group of revolutionaries in the country of Iran or the government of Iran itself? Who knows? Only time will tell. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can always hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>